Welcome to the Israel Conversation by Massah Leadership and Impact Center, the content engine behind Massah Israel Journey. We bring contemporary, challenging, and compelling Israel issues to light in ways that help us stay connected with what's really going on on the ground. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here today with two panelists. One of them, Kalev Bendor, who's been on recently on many topics. How you doing, Kalev? Mike, good to see you. All is good with me. And I don't know a guest or a panelist. I don't know what to call Alan Goldman. Longtime listeners certainly know Alan. How's it going, Alan? Good. Thank God, Mike. Good to be back. All right. And Benji can't make fun of you for a mild... All right. That was a good... That was a little more enthusiastic. That's what Benji always wants. All right. Um, today, we're going to deal with, I think, focus mainly on one topic, the uh, Zelensky address to the Israeli government. But we also have to mention there's a lot going on in the news this week that, that deserves at least some mention. Uh, one of them is a really awful terrorist attack that happened, as we record, happened yesterday, where the morning after terrible terrorist attack in Beersheva, four dead, two injured, apparently in stable condition. Uh, just horrific. And, you know, when you read about it, it just breaks your heart. So, you know, there are orphan kids today there. It's just, it's just awful and obviously... We're thinking of the families of the wounded and the killed and, and praying for every, the wounded to have a speedy recovery and comfort to the families. So I don't know what else to say about that topic unless you gentlemen want to. It's just awful. Uh, the other. Uh, it, things... was, it was just it was terrible. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, go ahead. I actually thought well, the most interesting thing about it, uh, uh, it was terrible and it's awful. And I actually kind of like. I don't even want to deal with it, really. I my, my mind, like, sort of, like, avoiding it. But the, yeah. actually, the role of the bus driver who ended up shooting the terrorist was yeah, super, super interesting. He And you could watch the live footage, unfortunately. But how he yeah, hesitated and didn't want to and didn't want to and kept yeah. putting it off. And then in the in his, in his the interviews afterwards, he, he said how regretful he was. Not like he knew he had to do it, but felt so sorry because it was a human being and we shouldn't have to do that. I mean, that's that was. That's a hero. Yeah. I think he got his gun back also. I think the people who fired, they've already cleared them of uh, the, the was responsible shooting. Not, uh, right. Uh, you want to, uh, anyone want to mention the Sharm el Sheikh event and uh, give a short description just so our listeners are aware of it? Who's up for that? Well, I mean, Israeli, so Israeli Prime Minister Bennett flew to, to Sharm el Sheikh uh, in, in Egypt, in Sinai, and met with, he actually stayed overnight as well on Egyptian soil which is apparently the first time in 20 years that an Egyptian, that an Israeli leader has, has done that. And he met with the leaders, uh, the, the president of, of Egypt and the de facto leader of, of the UAE. And I think I, we were joking before that every time I come on, it's, it's to touch on hmm. some sort of regional aspect, whether that's kind of Herzog, President Herzog going to Turkey. Um, and I think this is also just a sign of the, the recalibration of the region which we've seen over the past few years, certainly in light of the Abraham Accords, that um, I think there's a convergence of interests between Israel and many of the Sunni states, certainly regarding the threat of Iran. They were almost certainly talking about American attempts to rejoin the JCPOA, the nuclear deal that was first signed in, in 2015, also talk that maybe the uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guards, uh, which is one of the major uh, proponents of terrorism in the region, might be taken off the American terror list, uh, which Israel is very concerned about. Um, I'm sure they were talking about all of those things. And again, it's just it's, it's a sign of how 
classical alliances are are changing and moving, and that Israel's place in the region is um, is respected in many ways. It surprised me that there wasn't really that on the Iran deal. It sounds like the UAE and the Egypt weren't. We were, we're, Israel's not on the same page with those countries. Like they're a little bit more supportive of America's efforts, and Israel really thinks it's a terrible idea. I don't know if you got that from. That's what one of the reporters well, was think, saying. Yeah, I think in 2015, the Netanyahu government really led publicly the opposition to the deal. And my impression was that the Saudis and the Gulf countries also felt that it, it was not a good deal and they were worried about it. But in some ways, they kind of let Israel do the heavy lifting. Now, what the situation is, I'm not so sure. I mean, the UAE is, is kind of hedging its bets to a certain extent in, in the sense that the National Security Council, uh, the head of the National Security Council met with, went, went to Iran a few months ago. Um, I would be surprised if, if certainly the Gulf states are happy about a, a new kind of JCPOA version 2, 2.0. They might be letting Israel make more of the noise like last time. But um, again, that, that that's my impression. It's difficult. Yeah, to I just I just saw some reporting that maybe it wasn't like last time. That it was a little bit different. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We also wanted to talk about the uh, very briefly the, the the major funeral in Israel this week. That if you're from some segments of Israeli life, was a major event. The passing of Rav Kinevsky, a great a great Torah scholar. From uh, about half a million people poured into the area of Bnei Brak to, I would say, not even go to the funeral, just be within miles of the funeral. Half a million people in a country of nine million people ended up with most people being annoyed at the shutting down of schools and the closing of roads and the uh, the center of the country uh, really being shut down. I, I was saying before we were recording that I think that's it's, it's striking that somebody who's so impactful to a small segment, of, well, between 10 and 20% of the population, so much so that half a million people showed up at the funeral <clears throat> is so unimpactful to most of Israelis who, I mean, and not only Israelis, like my students really didn't know who it was. They just didn't know the name. Uh, I, I, way, I find that striking. Same, but They said the same thing about Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Orbach when he died. Correct. In 1996, the, the, the news was looking at, what the, who is this guy? They didn't even know who right. this guy is. Hundreds of thousands of people turned out for the funeral. Yeah, I found that shocking because at least in the in the Orthodox Jewish world, Rosh Hashanah Orbach, I think, was more well known. And Rav Kanievsky is even less known, well known than Rosh Hashanah I think, in terms of his impact outside yeah. the community. But it's a strange. Oh, sorry, to the, me. Con the context within which he's known is the COVID context. And the Israelis are the, uh, came keeping out of the way, yeah. keeping the yeshivot and the schools open when many other people had, had closed them, and being. The, the kind of the the approach person to him was his grandson, who people felt had a lot of influence over him in the way that he would phrase the questions, etc. So in some ways, that that's how he's known to uh, to Joe public in Israel. Yeah. yeah By the way, yeah. he should also be known also for very supporting the vaccination of even children. Mm -hmm. uh, but the way he came out, um, which was I think uh, part critical in the certain segments of the Haredi world in terms of uh, vaccinating. But it was a real divide in the Haredi world whether school should be shut down and other and masks yeah. should be worn, and he was on the more. Well, although again, as you're saying, Khalif, none of us really know what he thought or said, or if anything came from him. How much of it was him communicating out to his handlers, and how much of it 
was his handlers yeah. influencing him what to say or his handlers just talking in his name? Well, I don't know that we'll ever really know because at his age and his, just looking at him, he was so infirm. He also, and he also had such a, he had such a unique position in, even in the Haredi world, because he's not someone like a lot of these names who had, were public figures for years. And as they got older, he was someone who really, he never, basically never took a, 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 a job, an official opinion. He wasn't the Rav of, a, he wasn't Rosh Hashiv, he was nothing. He was basically, he just learned in Kolel. His whole life, um, you know, 20 hours a day, he was learning Torah and, and writing and answering. Obviously, people came to him for questions. And he's also known as a Baal Mofet, someone who who was, uh, I don't know how you translate that into, not that he make miracles, but someone who, um, you know, was connected with uh, miraculous events or something. I, I'm not exactly sure how you translate that. But, uh, and it was only in the last few years in the Haredi world with all kinds of different uh, politics and things going on that they kind of put him front and center as a, as a, as a figure as a as a as a person. So it's really it, it, it's really a unique, different I think than like Kalev you were mentioning before, like Rav Vajiosef, when hundreds of thousands turned out for his funeral, but he was a very public figure, having been chief rabbi of the state of Israel and having have started his own you know being the head of a political party, not taking a political position, but being the spiritual head or what have you. So um, it's a, uh, which was a strange position it, it, also to be, to be yeah. uh, in the miracle business in the non Hasidic world. He, he did have a very unique position. Mm -hmm. By the way, my recording device yeah. just messed up. So now I'm switching over to my phone. So sorry about that for those of you who are different. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but yeah, it, it, he is in many ways, a very interesting <clears throat> person and certainly, you know, Israelis all over the country felt it, even though, uh, by the way, I, I think part of the reason so many people go to those events is I think in that community, you're not supposed to have TV or internet. When we have these days uh, a, a famous person passing away or a large culture, you know, or even a celebration, you know, a royal wedding or something, we all run to our TV. But in that community, I think they just get on buses and cars and go to the event. So it could be something as innocuous as that, why there's so many people there. I don't know. It's also values in terms of mitzvah, you know. In terms yeah, yeah. Of, you know, to accompany you know, the, a lot of different things, but you're right. It's honor, yeah. But sometimes yeah. it's things you don't necessarily think about. Sometimes it's just certain silly logistical things that have huge cultural impact. Yeah. Um, okay. The main thing we wanted to talk about was uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine's blistering address to. Uh, do we say the Israeli Knesset because it was over Zoom? It wasn't in. They were kind of. They kind of. Jer uh, jerked him around a little. Let, let he, Kalev make that decision. He thinks it's the, if it was a. He addressed the people of the the, the members of the Knesset, a lot of but not at the Knesset. You're putting on me, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. You are now. Sometimes our you got to take the responsibility, like Rav Kenyevsky. Yeah, you're our, you're our official uh, decider of uh, terminology. Did he address the Knesset? The Terminator. Did he? That's right. He, he certainly addressed members of he certainly addressed yeah. members of the Knesset, not not members of the joint list, which might be worth discussing. But um, yeah, for sure, he certainly um, certainly spoke to members of the Knesset, right. members of the Knesset. But they kind of he wanted them to be an assembly in the Knesset on a screen, and they didn't want to. And they said it's because they weren't in session and they're doing repairs. But like they could have figured out a way to 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 hear his message in the Knesset, right? Like that's I mean, I think it goes with this underlying tension that's going on between Israel and the Ukraine and the role of Israel in their in this whole, you know, 
Ukrainian uh, mess that they're in, that they're in the invasion and war with Russia, you know? Exactly. Um, so it, it started off because Israel's trying to sort of be... Uh, certainly most Israeli opinions sees the Russian invasion as horrible, but the Israeli government is trying to not anger Putin too much, both so that uh, we could represent our interest to him like deconflicting you know, fighter jets in Syria, but also uh, so that we could possibly play a peacekeeping role at some point making a deal. But fundamentally, it started off on an awkward foot in that it took a long while to arrange this Zoom call, which at first he didn't want to do. And then they, I don't know, it was this whole rigmarole that it took to get it. And when he finally got this audience with the members of Knesset, except for the ones who boycotted him, boy, did he tear in. Does anyone want to go over the highlights of uh, his... uh, his, um, his well, it was short. I mean, I could do a little bit, but you guys helped me because I don't remember okay. him. But I mean, he, you know, he, it was short. It was just barely 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he spent a lot of that time uh, um, basically uh, accusing of Israel of standing on the sidelines, um, you know, uh, uh, and asking Israelis, where, where do you want to be? You know, there's a clear evil here. And where do you want to be? And and his not only his implications, I think his directly is that humanitarian aid is standing on the sideline. And the only thing that will put you in the right place in history is if you give uh, military aid, help sir, with military aid. Um, and the position of Ukraine, and this is the thing that was, I think, the uh, uh, most con- contentious, really, is the position of Ukraine is likened to the position of Jews during the Holocaust. And then, and which he then made the pretty, uh, pretty um, statement. I'll just, I'll obnoxious? leave the ball. I think I made a statement that historically I was, inaccurate. I was going to say outrageous. Claim outrageous. that the, that the that the Ukrainians, uh, you know, help as implying Ukrainians as a people and as a state helped the Jews in the. In, uh, against the Nazis. And because saved, after, uh, after all, Yad Vashem you know. recognizes so many righteous among the Gentiles, among Ukrainians yeah. who saved Jews. So don't we kind of owe it to yeah. Ukrainians? Yeah. So I, I thought that that was, uh, uh, you know, uh, crazy. <laughs> Not just the, the, just the whole, the whole, the whole, uh, what you call it, the whole framing of the, of, of his, uh, Lashing so, out. <laughs> I can so understand I, lashing out. You're, it's you know, lashing out. I just do. I think it was. I think it was indefensible, but understandable. And I also don't know that it's entirely relevant to how Israel should pursue what it thinks is right. In other words, I think that in and of itself is getting off the sidelines. Is is <laughs> allowing. So uh, again, I don't think they handled it so well at the beginning, but they they took an address from him. All the Knesset members came to hear him harangue them for 10 minutes. I don't know how exactly you call that the sidelines. I also don't know how you call humanitarian aid the sidelines. Certainly some of the, I mean, how many Ukrainian, um, how many Jews were killed by Ukrainians in the Holocaust? Is there a way to know, Alan? Not by, in particular. No, I don't, I don't think we're, I don't think there's a way to know. We do know that Ukrainians, as opposed to say Poles, Right. were given op- opportunities at times, especially in like by 1943, when the Germans are already losing to the Soviets, they're given time to uh, join the German forces. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, And particularly, they set up a, uh, a unit called the 
um, Waffen, a part of the Waffen SS, the Galicia unit, mm-hmm. um, where 80,000 plus Ukrainians enlisted. Mm-hmm. You know, men we're talking about, right? Men of fighting age. To that's join a, the that's Nazis. a significant. Yeah. Not, no, no, they enlisted in the end. They didn't take that many. 40,000 were taken. In the end, something like tw- about 20,000 became active. But there were over 80,000 wanted to join. And that was mostly and that was all from, again, no, we can understand the Ukrainian position because Ukrainians had uh, were were also decimated by the Soviets, like other people. So mm-hmm. these were Ukrainian nationalists who felt that joining the Germans would would, you know, we see the Soviets well were part of the Allies, but they were, certainly... you know, they weren't so great either. And they and the, and the, and the Soviets had 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 committed a genocide against the Ukrainians in the 30s called the Holodomor, which was the forced famine and starvation of millions mm-hmm. of, of Ukrainians. So the Ukrainians had a lot against yes, the Soviets. Stalin had a lot of then, Ukrainian blood in his hands. Yeah. So, but but to go to that part and say they saved all these Jews because I mean they they you know they saw their national interests at the time in 1943 at least eighty thousand of them as joining along with the the, the Germans. Well, part um, of the problem of, of clearly, collective identity itself. In other words, you have righteous among the Gentiles. You certainly had numerous Ukrainian horrible war crimes and perpetrators by Ukrainians. I don't know that that's the Ukraine. In other words, when I, I've had neighbors say to me. Oh, who cares? After what they did to us in the Holocaust, why should I care about the Ukraine? I, I don't. I don't understand that kind of collective collective thinking. Uh, you know, when babies are being bombed, I don't know if even yeah. if they're related to the great great grandparent who committed a war crime. I don't have to only worry about the babies whose great great grandparents were righteous among the Gentiles. I, I have to worry about babies. I, I I I just find that kind of thinking very strange. I, I think it's amoral. You know, it's not the perpetrator, it's members of the nation of the perpetrators, the children of the children of the perpetrators. I just don't understand a moral argument for saying. Uh, uh, so, so again, I, I think, obviously, to compare what's going on, the horrible things going on in the Ukraine to the industrialized murder of six million Jews, I think is way off. I think comparisons to Holocaust in general are way off. I think pleading special... Uh, love for Ukrainians because of the many Ukrainians who saved Jews in the Holocaust, I think is at best bizarre and tone deaf. At worst, I don't know, kind of gross. But this is a country, don't forget, this is a Jewish person talking who was easily elected by a country that wanted him to be their leader. And he's well known to be Jewish. So it's all very strange. But But I think to me, this is a guy, if you think of the situation he's in, the pressure he's under, you know, people keep comparing him to Churchill. And I understand the comparisons, but don't forget that Churchill was preventing a, a German invasion of Great Britain. He's invaded. I mean, he's he's speaking under invasion while his people are being bombarded and killed, not only from a distance, but by Russian troops on his ground. So in his thrashing out, I think I think uh, the way I heard it was this is how Ukrainians feel this is you the leader is channeling their their energy he's channeling their horror and 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 I just tried to imagine like god forbid god forbid you know a person whose kid had a had a had a terrible illness and they couldn't afford it 
the medical treatment. There's an experimental medical treatment. It's not covered by insurance. They can't afford it. I can imagine that person lashing out at rich people and saying horrible things. Fair or not fair, reasonable or not reasonable. But when a person is... Now, is that good diplomacy? I don't think so. Is that persuasive to Israelis? I don't think so. But I, I think I think Israelis should see it as a non-factor because it's a person screaming in horror while he watches bombs dropped on maternity hospitals and shelters and, you know, refugee lines being attacked, you know, women being raped in your country, like really horrible stuff. So that, that's just sort of how yeah, I, I took it I've, all I've in. I've seen comments from Bennett and Gantz and Lapid and I think all, yeah, I think Bennett said nothing, he'd prefer that nothing really gets compared to the Holocaust. Although I'd say in yeah, brackets- he, yeah. That Israelis and Jews also don't have a great history in not comparing things to the Holocaust. <laughs> that often whatever that often whatever we happen not to like yeah. yes. becomes like a Shoah. But anyway, close brackets. Um No, that's I think, I think that's very important. I, I think, think that's a, that's an important bracket. bracket, yeah. Yeah. But go ahead. No, okay, so uh, we're um, we're you know, we're critical of him, and I've read commentary and which I agree with. He would have been much better off comparing Ukraine to Israel in 1967, as in surrounded and needing help, than yep. the Holocaust. But at the end of the day, I don't you know. Israel, Israel's made its strategic choice. Whether we think it should do more, whether we think it should do less, it's a separate question. It's made a strategic choice of military aid, no, humanitarian aid, yes, and lots of it, and probably nothing Zelensky would have said or could have said would have changed that strategic decision. So we we can critique his wording and we can be forgiving of his wording. And I think Bennett and Lapid and Gantz were all saying, you know, we, we don't, you know, you don't judge a person in their distress, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I think as 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 Mike suggested, it's a different conversation. It's a conversation of should his wording have been better or not, but it wouldn't really, regardless, it wouldn't have had an influence on Israel's strategic decision, because that's been taken at the end of and the day. And he's a smart think, guy. He knows that. So I think his main audience is his people who want to hear him yelling their rage and horror out into the world in order to feel, you know, validated. That's his main audience. He's not trying to convince Israeli policymakers. They've made their decisions. So there's a part of me, that the conspirational part, that wonders if Bennett's role as a potential mediator, which I'm quite skeptical of anyway, because I don't really know how mediation happens with someone like Putin. But the Bennett's potential role as a mediator is enhanced the more that Zelensky Mm. criticizes Israel. Um, Mm. They've spoken a lot on the phone. Um, So I don't, you know, I I don't really know if that has any role in it or whether I'm kind of overthinking it. But uh, Zelensky's got his, his talking points and we've got our decisions and our decisions are different to the Germans and the French and the British and, and whoever. And I assume deep down the Ukrainian leadership gets that, even if they're not happy with it. So I, I have two response. I have two responses. I'm hoping to stay on track. My first is in the diplomatic side. We have caused, especially Yair Lapid, a major diplomatic row with Poland over the narrative of the Holocaust and the Poles' mm-hmm. roles in the Holocaust. To the point of because they they have stressed how much how much Poland has helped the Jews and how Poles helped the Jews and this and that and so we both of us have 
taken home our ambassadors from the country. The Israel ambassador actually just went back because of the Ukrainian crisis and uh, has been doing that. Um, but it certainly caused harm to the relationship, whether that harm will be sustained but, or not. The yeah, official diplomatic exactly. relationship was hurt by that. Right. And so, uh, and so it just seems a bit off take here. I understand you don't criticize someone when they're in distress. That's a, you know, I, I get that. Well, there's under a, fire, there's a different dynamic a going on under stress, yeah. I'm saying uh, th- I'm saying there's all there's a different dynamic here, but I, I do think that it, it, there there was a need to be a little bit more sh- forceful. Uh, again, I'm not saying we you know we should be throwing them out. I also think we need to make a divide. Absolutely, 100%. This narr- narrative fight over the Holocaust should not affect what at, at all the 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 empathy we feel for the Ukrainians right. and the humanitarian aid we send or whatever other decisions we make. I think. That that stands on its own. Anybody says, "Oh, what they did to us in the Holocaust, so we should just leave them be." I think that that is That's immoral in, and wrong. Yeah. yeah, That's just immoral and wrong. But I do think that we have a very um, critical thing going on here, which is how the word genocide or Holocaust is used in the international mm. arena. He did use the which word is genocide. Very. He did use the word genocide, which in in terms of genocide studies, it's first of all the word genocide itself is a. In and of itself, has become a means for the international the international world not acting when things are happening mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's a fight: is there genocide happening or is there not genocide happening? Right, and then that becomes the focus is, and then what do you do? Is there is, and you do this right? But it's very important when you have international incidents like this, wars and other such things, that we identify what is happening um, because if we don't identify what is happening, then we don't really respond properly to it. If you go back to your medical thing, right? If the doctor misdiagnoses the patient, then the doctor doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, prescribe the proper treatment. treatment. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So therefore, if you call this a genocide or a Holocaust, then, then you're not assessing what's going on here, which is not, it's a war and it's an invasion. It's a, it's immoral. It may be uh, crimes of human, you know, acts of uh, atrocities and crimes against humanity and all of those things. And we, Can have, I to, and we have to, yeah, let me just, fi- let, let me ahead. just finish this. But, but, but because it also hurts the final thing it will hurt is places where genocide is happening. We mm. know. And in fact, we know that genocide is happening in, in, in China. It, with the Uyghurs, right? Mm-hmm. Things that are classified as genocide, sterilization, uh, encampment, things like that. So it's very important that we, that within the international community, we have a, a proper assessment of what's going on, because not only how it impacts Ukraine, but how it impacts other places in the world. Um, so that's why I think it's very important that we call him out on that. So without at all disagreeing with your central point, I do wonder if Putin's goal isn't to destroy even the concept of Ukrainian nationality, where you've beat and, and to bomb and, and who knows what's coming up next, hopefully not weapons of mass destruction, but whether to beat into submission the surrender of the concept of being a Ukrainian so that they are forced to accept the identity of Russians. And, it, and, and, and is that not conceptually a form of genocide? I'm asking. Not according to the UN, not according to the international legal definition of genocide. Whether we like it or not, I potentially don't like it. Cultural genocide is not part of it. So as the UN, as the UN um, definition is, it's bio, it's the destruction in part or whole 
um, of, of uh, biological or physical um, na- uh, nation or group or community, nation, religion, uh, so forth, a, a couple of different groups and not a political group either. Political groups are not considered attacking political groups. There's pushback upon that in the in the in the academic world in terms of mm-hmm. what genocide is. But as it stands today, cultural genocide, political genocide, you know, polit- culture destruction, political destruction are not considered part of the legal international term of genocide. So if we're going to create structures that are able to respond to genocide and other acts and other crimes against humanity and war and illegal wars, we have to understand them properly. We always talk about it in our class. What we're trying to do is clarify. What we're trying to do is clarify because clarifying helps solve problems. Mm-hmm. We, we talk about that with the Palestinians. We don't yep. like, right? We get in this argument about in terms of apartheid because it's not helpful. It doesn't clarify what's really happening that is here our in our situation. Approach, yeah. Right. So therefore, that's that has to be here also. If we really want to uh, help the Ukrainians and not just the Ukrainians, also the Uyghurs and also, um, I don't know, any the other, Rohingya, other groups, uh, yeah. you know, Rohingya and all these. We have to clarify in the different situations of what's happening so we can address them properly. Um, and as it stands now, the the what's happening in Ukraine is awful and terrible. And we should be responding but let's let's put it in its in its proper perspective, which is it's an invasion of one country of another country. And by the way, that's why, as we know, the parallel to the Holocaust doesn't work because right. you have Moldova, Poland, Romania, Hungary, um, and then spread out of country, a German, England, who are accepting the refugees open handed, mm-hmm. which was not the case during World War Two for the Jews. And, and Jews and, had nowhere to go. And just based on what we're seeing in journalism and the, the full studies haven't been done, but let's. Let's let's stipulate that war crimes are being committed, that civilian areas yeah, are being well, targeted. That let's stipulate, yeah. It's, what make, it's, it's, it seems very clear that war crimes are being committed. I do. I will wait, make one qualification with that. We have to be very careful because we know how. First of all, Zelensky. Why is he doing this? Because he's a media expert. He's using mm-hmm. media's propaganda, which he should be. That's his job. I'm not saying he shouldn't be doing that. But we, we, as watching it, should also be suspect. We don't know how many people, we're not getting proper information. We don't know how many people have been killed on either side. We don't know exactly what's happening. That doesn't mean that war crimes aren't happening. We just have to, again, identify what's actually happening. Correct. And, and, whole, and there's a history. People responsible for it. And even and Western media does not have a a perfect track record at accurately reporting the existence of war crime, going all the way back to the Spanish American exactly. War. Remember the Maine, right. going back all to, of a sudden, right? So that's why I said let's. It's very agenda oriented. I, I want to leave. Oh, I, you're 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 articulating my point that I was uh, implying that I don't know yet for sure what happened until I see. But let's stipulate. Yeah. Yes. That, that that it's accurate for na- for the for the sake of this conversation. Uh, and uh, I, 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 well, first of all, right. I mean, one I, could probably argue that the war is an illegal war. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I'm talking you know, beyond uh, that. I'm talking about specific. Yeah. There's, 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 let's stipulate yeah. that the Russians targeting are intentionally yeah. targeting civilians. That, yeah. that, uh, without, seems without, that way. Pretty clear. Yeah, it, sure, it sure seems that there's war crimes. Um, I mean, when I was, I was in Poland at the beginning of the war, I was in Poland a, a couple weeks ago and mm-hmm. I was talking to refugees. And, you know, they certainly felt targeted. You know, these refugees were running away, felt targeted. I talked, I spoke to one woman. It was, it was heartbreaking. She's just like, I'm, I was like running with my kids and I, you know, I was in fear of being raped. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I I don't think that we, 
you know, should take that lightly or say, well, that's, you know, that, you know, that uh, those, those fears are expressing a targeting of civilians. Uh, I'm sure of it. Well, launching artillery into a civilian city is not a military target. You know, I don't know that it's inherently different than Hamas launching rockets across the border. Whether you, whether you had a very specific target in mind or not, you're launching into civilian clusters. And so that, that is targeting civilians. You know, when you're in a I mean, Russian again, gets, naval ship launching into... Yes. I'm not going to... I don't really... I'm going to say this, and I don't want people to misinterpret that I'm trying to defend Russia or this and that, but we know that these things are complicated. Like when Israel targets um, those same missiles, which are in a neighborhood, we argue that's a military... That, the, that Hamas has turned into a military position, right? Right, because we're targeting a, a missile launcher. So well, now that... I'm just saying this for devil advocate, so people don't, you know... And mm-hmm. for devil advocacy purposes, well, now that Ukraine has handed out, we know there's all these militias all over the mm-hmm. all over the cities. They've handed out guns. They tell people, take out your guns. And civilians are like setting up these militias. They're doing roadblocks. So where is the where in the modern where is the distinction between military car targets versus civilian targets? You understand my question? I do understand your question. I do think civilian defense militia is different than a missile launcher. And I think I think. You know, no, I'd, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm raising the question. Said, let's stipulate, yeah. Let's yeah. stipulate that I'm, these I'm are war crimes. I'm just raising the question that it gets blurry, that all, in all these things, it gets very blurry. And we know, we've been on different sides of that here in Israel. But yeah. my question is, what? when does war crime become genocide? Like, what is when is the line crossed? Because let's stipulate that the Russians are committing genocide against Ukrainians. Mm-hmm in an effort to destroy the nation of Ukraine and have it be engulfed into Russia. At what point? Again, so, yeah. So the the genocide, according to the Genocide Convention, which was passed in in 1948, um, uh, which is the, you know, international accepted definition. Driven by uh, Jewish person Rafal Lemkin. I mean, you're the expert. Rafal Lemkin. Rafal Lemkin. Yeah. yeah, Rafal Lemkin coined the term genocide in his book called Axis Rule, which was published in 1944 during the war um, against what was the Nazis were doing. And the idea was that there was no term for for like homicide is the is the intended uh, murder of an individual. So there was no there was no equivalent term for the intended destruction of a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though Raphael Lemkin's, uh, his definition included cultural genocide, by the time for different politics, it gets to the, the convention in the UN, cultural, as I said, cultural genocide is not included in it. Cultural destruction is not included. Political destruction is not included in it. So basically, what, when, when does it cross the line? It's when a person has the intent of murdering people uh, or destroying them physically or biologically to destroy the group. Mm. So it's not just I want to kill that person because he's threatening me now or they may be a threat. I want to destroy their entire group. It's a spe- it's like a law. It's a you know it's one it's like mm. homicide. It's when homicide becomes homicide as opposed to murder or third degree mur- all those different things, right? So here you need the special intention to destroy the group. So theoretically yeah. speaking, you if you kill one person, you go in and kill one Ukrainian because you wanted but your intent was to kill all Ukrainians. That would be genocide, hmm. right? Theoretically, and that's not the speaking. intent here. But that's not the intent here. The intent, the intent here is, is not to, to physically or biologically. Not. In other words, had had the Ukrainians just submitted, 
then they wouldn't have fired a gun. There wouldn't have been mm-hmm. a bullet fired. Right, I, right, I'm not right. trying to blame the Ukrainians. I'm no, not no, trying to blame the Ukrainians. But the, it doesn't well, become yeah. it doesn't become genocide, then, right? So, and, and by sure the way, and you have, have to preferred. have and you have right, and you have to find each person. In other words, that's why a lot of people throughout history, throughout in the, the late 20th century and early 21st century, have gone on trial for genocide, but have not been convicted of genocide because they can't mm-hmm. prove that they had the intent to call the whole kill the whole group. They were a soldier. They were told to kill this person, like in Bosnia. They they massacred these people, but they they didn't have the intent to, call, to kill the whole group. They were just a soldier. They they were found for war crimes for killing civilians, but not of the the law of genocide. Well, it's that's why there was a the push around happened. the same time. There was I forgot the name. Was also a Jewish man at the same time as Lemkin, pushing to create this concept of crimes against humanity into the league, international law. That. Uh, yeah, it is. There are crimes against humanity. Crimes against humanity. More, he felt that would be a more but what's happened prosecutable is, yeah, crime. So what's happened, and this is why what's happened is this is why Zelensky is doing what he's doing is genocide and, and Holocaust have become the a bomb of of propaganda, mm-hmm. right? Meaning you throw that out because that's the worst thing that can be. I mean. Crimes against humanity is a terrible, terrible thing. Like, why is that any less worse than I don't know. genocide? Should be, that's what he should be saying. Right. He says you're committing crimes against humanity. You're com- yeah. killing civilians. You're you're destroying uh, our, our our homes, our cities. Look what's done in Mariupol. That's that's a crime against humanity. It's a genocide. So that's a little bit of the problem of this term genocide has become so politicized and legalized that it, it's yeah. – and that's why I'm saying it really needs to be – it, 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 at this point, it's declarifying as opposed to clarifying, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. confusing. It's confusing as opposed to, um, uh, and it doesn't help solve the problem. And I think that that's what happened in Israel. It didn't. It doesn't help mm-hmm. solve the problem. It didn't help, and that's why he. It, it shouldn't only be a mistake and, and let him off of it. We should call him out and say, "You're making a mistake by doing this. This isn't what your propaganda should be because you're hurting your cause and you're hurting the cause of other people who are suffering around the world." I understand that his focus is Ukrainians yeah. now, but there are other people solving suffering around the world because of mm-hmm. actual, you know, other acts of uh, of inhumanity and stuff like that. Well, without necessarily accepting your conclusion, I'll give you some evidence to support your argument. Um, I was speak. I had. I was uh, moderating a Wait, Palestinian. It hurt, so hard, it hurt you so much to agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> Would it be good for the episode? Haven't the Jews suffered enough? <laughs> oh, only oh, listening to us. Here. I thought you disappeared. Yeah, we don't see you. We only hear you. Yeah, your zooms a little in and out, I guess. Uh, the I was moderating a Palestinian speaker to a group of students, and she was saying to the students how she's very supportive of Israeli-Palestinian dialogue. And one of the things she works on is Palestinians have to understand the Holocaust, and Jews have to understand the Nakba. And later, when I was debriefing with right. my students, I said that's such a bad model of understanding the story of Israelis and Palestinians. It's such a weird framing of Israelis are responding to the Holocaust, Palestinians are responding to the Nakba. That's not what Israel is. Israel's not a response to the Holocaust. Zionism existed and right. was building a state long before the Holocaust. So right. the Holocaust certainly impacted Israel. It's not It's not a, murdering a third of our people certainly has impact on, on our people and on the oh, state of Israel. No. Well, it's also a, a strong narrative from Mishalat Kuma, from the Holocaust to the... The, the rebuilding of Israel. It's very a, impactful. It's very relevant. Narrative. It's very relevant. Yeah, very strong but it, narrative in Israeli society. But it's not the origin story. And she was presenting it as the two origin stories, and that's, I right. think, also. So I, I give that in support of your argument that that lack of clarity leads to not just distortion, but 
uh, even beyond distortion. Even well-intended yeah. people can come to really silly conclusions because they're misdiagnosing. Yeah. So, and, and I think, and I, and I agree with Kalev. I think Kalev is right when he said earlier, "Well, Jews use that Holocaust yep. wrongly and misappropriately," and he's absolutely right. And that's why we should yep. call that out. Meaning, we should be calling these things out because they they distort what's going on and they make uh, and then don't help it. Well, I think also Jews have to be very cautious when we condemn the world for not intervening in the Holocaust, which is, that's sort of the point Zelensky's making, ultimately, is that you Jews, always, we Jews always complain that why did nobody intervene when there were crimes against humanity being committed against our people? Now's your chance to step up. Why aren't you doing enough? Um, so, uh, there is, claim, I, I so, do uh, think there's something to it. So I'll tell you why I, I, I'll tell you how I see it. And, and the parallel, it's what, what, um, what, and then Kalev I'll tell you why you're wrong. Also. Excellent. <laughs> and why Kalev was talking about it before. When Jews say that the world didn't step up, it's because we say nobody took in refugees. Nobody would open up their borders to us. That's part that's of what it. what we mean generally. That, mm. That's most of it. No, because America, what did America, America, like, I don't oh, know that's what our big mean. claim against America. I don't America. know how to make that argument. Yeah. Why did, what? I why don't did we rescue? The... Why? And I was, why didn't you put rescue? In, in the in the forefront of what was going on in World War II, why or at least make it part of what was going on in World War II? Why don't you open up your borders to Jews to come in, which they didn't for the most part. Correct. And England also, and this and that, right? In the, the England, the, the 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 proof of that is England is the kinder transport. They only take mm -hmm. ten thousand kids when you had millions, right? Mm -hmm. um, we basically mean they why took didn't them you give without us a their safe parents? Haven? They had the kids had to leave their families. Exactly. And why did you give us a safe haven? That, that's mostly what we mean. In that. I don't know what we mean. Um, I don't know how to speak collectively about what we mean. So, I'm pretty sure that this would mean after what I've read about my reading and um, what have you. Uh, and um, and the the basically America at the time and England and the Allies they made a decision, right? And by the way, this is the the mainstream Zionist movement agreed with this decision, which is the quickest way to help the Jews was to win the war faster. So therefore, we're going to put well, the all our efforts was before into fighting the, war. the Nazis. Taking in German refugees was before there was a war. They, they took in a lot of German refugees before the war. Most did. Well, more than half of the German, uh, when we're talking, I'm talking about 1939 on, more than half of the German Jews left Germany and had places to go before the war. So it's really from 1939 on. 39 on, um, the, the, the ring is already closed. Once you're at war, it's very hard to take, uh, the, I, I don't think the Germans right, are going to let people out. Yeah, they did. Uh -huh. They did. People got out on boats, and you could, and they could, and and at places that where Germans weren't there yet. There's lots of different things, but but not to get too too deep into it. The point is um, that 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 they made a polit they made a decision. The decision, the best way to help the 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 Jews was to win the war quicker. Mm -hmm. And the Zionists agreed to this. Basically, the mainstream Zionists, meaning David Ben Gurion and and the others, in the Zionist Congress in the Biltmore in 1943, mm -hmm. right. And so there's a parallel going on here. The, the what Israel said is the best way that we feel as a state that we can help the Ukrainians is by humanitarian aid, mm -hmm. right? It's almost the opposite. We're not we we can't help you by fighting. That's not in our ability to do. But we can help you by humanitarian aid. We can open our borders. We've opened our borders We're to two hundred thousand Ukrainians. Two hundred thousand out of uh, out of I don't know millions, but I mean how much? We're can, not going to uh, take them right? anymore. I mean, especially not non-Jews. We're going to hit our limits. I'm saying the 200,000 are Jews. The 200,000 are Jews. That's a whole sub conversation we need to get into. Should Israel be taken? How many non-Jews should be Israel be taken into? But we've essentially but said it. we're open to every Jew to come. 
Okay, that's a different story. But ultimately, we're not going to we're not going to take in enough refugees to re, to rescue the millions and millions of people in crisis. Over two million people have already fled outside the ten, borders. Or ten million internally. people. Ten million people have become uh, have become have left their homes. That's yeah, internally within Ukraine, can, and I think yeah. it's two to three million yeah. outside already, reporting outside of Ukraine. Yeah, right. And I, but again, we're, we're, we are part of an international community that should be saying. That's why I'm saying this in terms of like you need to identify what the problem is and how we can best help. So the international yeah. community should be saying, "Oh, there are this many refugees. How can we distribute that equally throughout all the Western countries?" And Israel should take its part. And it's not going to be enough. Okay, still gonna uh, maybe it won't be enough. No, no. Oh, but again, I, you've Poland. Pol- over how a million many people have gone to Poland. Ukraine? What's the number? It's a, it's a lot of, it's a big country. I think it's four. I don't know. Kalev, do you remember? 45 million, maybe? I, I don't remember. I've lost, I, I don't, I, I don't I've lost track for a second. I think it's 45 million. We're not, we're not rescued. Tens of millions of people aren't going to be rescuable. And, you know, not by Israel, but Israel is, isn't Israel is no longer responsible for that. by the international community. Can't but absorb Poland 45 is already, million. No. By the, again, we need to. Yeah, I mean, and again, we need to, behind they need to, to fight. become stop. Yeah, they need to fight. I mean, the Ukrainians need to fight for themselves also. And the Allies decided that the fastest way to stop the Holocaust was to defeat the Nazis and stop the war, yeah. which the international yes. community is not doing. And I do think that's right. No, the, yes, correct. The international community is not doing it. That, that, that's a different discussion, whether they're making the right choice or not. That's what I'm saying. The, to the, me, the argument is whether you're making a right choice or not. But the fact that you're saying that they're not helping is not the right thing. That's what I'm saying about like the international. I'm not saying they're not helping. I'm saying ultimately, ultimately, nations act. Nations act in their own self-interest, and when push comes to shove, nations will act in their own self-interest. And if they could be helpful at the margins, they will be, as long as it doesn't violate their self-interest. As soon as their self-interest starts to be harmed, they'll shut the doors. They'll stop the aid. That's what so, nations so do. This is what, so what I'm arguing, what I'm arguing is not di- not different from what you're saying, but what I'm arguing is is nations ha- it, it, it ha- decide what their self interest is. So it, I could argue that the self interest of the West would be to put Russia down now militarily. That NATO should go in. I can make that argument, right? Sure. The, NATO is not making that argument. Made NATO is arguing, but they may be wrong. I can I can now criticize that. Right. right. But they've made that decision. Just like yeah. in World War II, the nations right. of the world made certain decisions and right. that was their priorities. That's I can point. say, no, that was a wrong priority. You should have okay. put Hitler down earlier, this and that. So I can I can say also Israel's making the wrong priority now, right? That they should be giving military aid and all that. But you can't say that Israel or the NATO, they're not doing anything. And that's what Zelensky no, 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 came no. along and said. Uh, that's what Zelensky uh, came along and said, more or less. However he said I, that's it. I understood however it. he said it, I do think as a Zionist, I think when Jews say, look at how the world abandoned us, nations acted in their perceived self-interest. We act in our perceived self-interest. Ukraine thinks we should be doing more. Yes. We don't think we should be yeah. doing more. That's our self. Absolutely. We think that would violate our self-interest. That's the norm. I think, we just, by the way, yeah. I didn't elect, uh, 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 well, I didn't elect Prime Minister Bennett, but, but that, we didn't, way, we didn't elect our government to protect Ukraine. We elected our government to protect Israelis. By the way, uh, that we do that individually. I gave some money to Correct. Ukraine. But I didn't give the most of I didn't give most Correct. of my stuff for Purim to the Ukraine. Correct. I gave it to the people I give it to here. I gave it Correct. to right. We everybody has to make their priority you have to make your priority list and decide. Now, Zelensky is coming along and saying your priorities are wrong. Okay. 
again, he he's got he's got a certain you know his priorities are X, my priorities are Y. Now I have to accept that, and I have to live with the choices I make. Right. By no, the way, and a, I, all the people who are being critical of Israel, I want to like think about like again on that very personal level. Have you now given you know Have you emptied out your bank account and sent it to the Ukrainian refugees? Like you're making priorities. Everybody well, makes priorities. But that's what I'm saying. But but people who criticize the yeah. world for not doing what they thought think the world should have done in the Holocaust, are you saying Israel should be doing the everything it can do for Ukraine? Or are you saying Israel should do everything within its right. interests to help and still be helpful to Ukraine? I, I just think to me that's part of the Zionist awareness is nations act in their self-interest. That's why every nation needs to be strong and self-sufficient right. and not dependent on others, because ultimately they're acting in their self-interest. And that's what you Ukraine is learning, and that's what's yeah. that's what's. I don't. I mean, I don't want to. Why I don't, we can only ultimately rely on ourselves, which is also correct. a classic Zionist position. I'm saying yeah, that's absolutely. right. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't want to agree with you because you didn't agree with me before. So I, I'll agree, but don't agree know, with it because I said it. Agree with agree with. I, I'm agree with because Kalev said it. I'm agreeing yeah, with Kalev, oh, okay, not good. you. Good. Okay, that makes <laughs> sense. All right. Well, we're well over time. It's another long episode. I think Ukraine is bringing out. Uh, did you want to make one more comment, Alan? I saw in your face something. No, it's no, it's because it's going to take too long about the whole we were talking about earlier about bystanders and rescuers and all those things oh. and why that's bad topology. All right, you'll have to. And that's why it's a bad topology and why it's go like that's that's feeding into this whole misunderstanding of everything. If we that according to my opinion, but whatever, we'll leave that for so another. We'll do another episode. episode. We'll do another episode. Yeah, we'll bring you back. It's another excuse to bring you back, Alan. <laughs> Any okay. excuse is good. But Kalev was too quiet. We didn't let him because we can't see him on the screen. Something happened to his his camera that we 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 didn't make him talk. Oh, there he is. Well, we should give Kalev oh, the last word since he's been so quiet in this last. No, I was I was enjoying listening to the two of you go go head to head about genocide and war crimes, uh, and you know, <laughs> I had, I, nothing I could have said would have would have added to that to that discussion. So, all right. Well, let's hope that we can talk about. Uh... Uh, more positive things in the future and let's hope Shift that uh, well I don't know when that'll happen but let's hope that at least look I, I I don't see this conflict ending anytime soon unless something very surprising happens I think we're going to see uh, harder times up ahead and I I do wish we could do more I don't know that I always agree but I'm not in the position of the leaders I don't envy the Israeli government's uh, decision making is very very hard very, very hard. So, uh, you know, prayers go out to all those people in dire straits, and uh, let's all do what we can. Amen. So thank Amen. you, Alan. Thank you, Kalev. Apologies to Ben for another rough episode to edit between Kalev popping in and out of his Zoom and my uh, recorder conking out. It's going to be a rough one for Ben, so we always appreciate him. Um, we're not, we don't have to end the Zoom, but it's the end of the episode, so I'm going to stop the recording. Bye-bye. Now that we're part of Masao, we decided to add a cool new segment to each episode. We're going to call the Masao Moment. There are so many people having amazing experiences here in Israel, and we just wanted you to feel part of it and know what's going on. So enjoy this week's Masao Moment. I would like to open by saying how blessed I am to be taking part in the Messiah Israel Teaching Fellows Program and thank you guys for deciding one day to take the road not taken, the road less traveled by, and come to teach our special students in our special country. My name is Rit, and I've been teaching English in Maud Primary School in Mishal for 30 years now. 
Ten years ago, I joined the Masaf family, and I'm super grateful for such a blessing. Walt Disney said, if you can dream it, you can do it. He was right. The Masai Israel Teaching Fellows program is definitely a success, and its impact lays with the teachers, the students, and the fellows. The program's goal, as I can see it, is to bring native English-speaking young ladies and gentlemen to Israel, and via their enthusiasm and love, upgrade the students' English world within school. Achieving these goals of enhancing the English learning environment and increasing the enthusiasm and comprehension level of primary school students is not an easy task, yet an amazing one. I do apologize for not being very modest, but I must say that these fantastic goals have been highly achieved in my school for a decade now, having a great impact on my student lives. Language is no longer a barrier to them. Bringing native English-speaking teachers into schools as teachers' assistants is also an enormous help for us teachers. As I can see it, the secret is in planning. Once you plan it properly and provide your fabulous assistants with all that they need for teaching, including the relevant course books, you can find yourself on the right track towards success. My fellows bring their passionate personalities and creative abilities into my classes. They have been teaching our students aiming towards all that is needed for tests and beyond. They use the course books as well, adapting the curriculum with their own creative teaching style via drama, art, technology, writing, games, and more. They worked with both advanced students and less advanced ones, and after each lesson, one can easily notice their smile, their shining eyes, and their excitement. On a personal note, I would like to share with you three amazing stories. Three amazing words combined with my own. Three amazing blessings which are still in my life. Back in 2010, Erica came into my life. My first perfect fellow. She made Aliyah, studied for a master's degree, got married, and now has two gorgeous boys. I feel so blessed now for her as a family. Then again, in 2014, my lovely Kelly joined the Masa project from South Africa, straight into my life. She also made Aliyah, got married, and now has an amazing little baby girl. I am super thankful to God to have Kelly as a family in my life. I, of course, have some more of these kind of stories to share, but decided to share another special one. Havila came into my life back in 2013 and stole my heart. Not able to make Aliyah, she returned to the UK, but as I always say, God has good plans for us. She got married and has a beautiful young girl now. We talk every day since and pop to visit each other every summer. What a blessing. People often ask me how do I do it, and there is only one answer I can come up with, love. Open your heart to these kids. Open your door and invite them over for a homey meal, for Shabbat dinner, or even family trips. Memories are great. So I just want to thank you all again for making a dream come true. And a special thank you to my current fellows, Katie and Eddie. Life is easier with you around. I know that this was not an easy year, but you two kept on going and experienced an amazing, unforgettable year. You have a home in Israel now. Thank you, everyone, and thanks for listening. Masa Israel Journey is dedicated to shaping a promising future for the young Jewish individual, the global Jewish community, and the connection to the State of Israel. Masa offers life-transforming, long-term opportunities in Israel that allows fellows to create their own future. Check out MasaIsrael.org for more info.